All right, we're going to do another Q&A. I need my, I need my wise counsel, the Scots, and my wife Leah, the smartest of them all. Um, here's some microphones. So last week we started doing a Q&A, and there were so many good questions, and we only got to a few of them. And because it was such a light, a light crowd, well, I almost broke everything. Did you see that? Wow. I decided to do it again this week because um, there's some really good questions. You guys have some really, really helpful. Boy, I almost broke it again. I'll just hold it. Uh, really interesting questions that I think are important to answer. Um, I was kind of scanning them real quick there in the back, and I want to start with this one because I think it's there seems to be kind of a repeating theme. It has to do with friends, choosing the right friends. How do I know if I have the right friends? Here's a specific question. If a friend does something that I don't like in that moment, what do I do? Uh, Here's another question. How do I know what friends are good? How do I know who to hang out with? You get the question. How do we choose our friends? What does God's word have to say about that? And then maybe we'll answer that specific one at the end. What do you guys think? How do I choose the right friends? How do I know if someone should be a friend or not? Wise counsel. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's on or not. I I didn't set you up very well. Okay, so small group. What do you guys think? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, um, I I'm going. Oh my word! Because there is so much in Proverbs about friends and about the people that you associate with. And, and my mind is going completely blank right now and where those verses are. And, um, but it, it would be maybe a good thing to do in, um, is to open your Bible and go to the book of Proverbs. And we have these cool things on our phones that we can do a search, like the ESV app or whatever app, you know, Bible app you might have. If you don't have one, get one because they are so helpful. You can just put in a word like friends or Proverbs slash friends, and it'll pull up all those verses, and then you can do, that can be um, a time spent in the word. So many times we get the question, well, how do I spend time in the word? What am I supposed to do? I don't know how to do it. And that would be a great place to start if you have a question about that, because friends are so important. You don't let your friends choose you. You choose your friends. Well, there you go. (laughs) She looked them up. But anyway, um, it's so important that you control who you associate with, are associated with, um, what their reputation is. um, And if you're a believer, do their lives bring honor and glory to God? Do they challenge and encourage you to to, um, bring honor and glory to God's name? And in junior high, it can be like, well, I just want someone to sit by me or someone that wants me to sit by them on Sunday morning or at school or at lunch or whatever. But um, it's good if you are, if you call yourself a believer, if you have claimed that you have come to Christ and are living your life for him to know what his God's guidelines are for the people that we hang out with. These, they have verses. So yeah, I mean, Proverbs chapter two, um, you know, it talks, um, it talks about um, listening to your parents, and it, it, at least on one hand, it tells you who not to be around. 
So if you are around somebody who's doing these things, um, you know, this shouldn't be, you know, a close friend to you. It should be more of a, um, a person that you might want to share the gospel with. But he said, if sinners entice you, in verse 10 of chapter 1, um, if sinners entice you, um, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us wait for blood, let us ambush innocent without cause, let us swallow them up like, like death, even whole as those who get out of the pit, um, uh, we will find all kinds of, of precious wealth. Uh, we'll fill our um, houses with, with uh, spoil. Throw in your lot with us. We shall all have one purse. So it's basically saying, you know, let's go down to 7-Eleven and let's, um, let's rob a bunch of stuff. Or let's go to the store and let's, let's um, you know, steal a bunch of candy and then we'll split it up, you know, afterwards. You know, that's kind of um, a more contextual thing for where you guys are at. Mm. You know, or let's break into, you know, the, the, the you know, school or high school and, and do a bunch of, you know, graffiti or damage or whatever. Gee, won't that be fun? You know, if, if, they're, if they're trying to entice you to do that kind of stuff, you know, run for the hills. That is not somebody that you want to be friends with. Uh, as far as listening to them, doing what they want to do. Um, you really want to find people that are going to build you up in the faith, that are going to encourage you to be more like Christ. And that's the person you want to be for them, too. Um, you want to be um, someone who um, is growing in their relationship with Christ and has words and deeds that back that up and um, that they can see that. And um, like the Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, and so you could even be a leader to them, you know, to your, to your Christian friends. Your non-Christian friends, I guess we're going to get to that question in a little while, but I'll stop there. Anything? Um, I, I, think that's, I think that's great. I mean, Proverbs 1 is what I was thinking of as well. Um, if sinners entice you, don't give in. And we'll talk about that more in a second. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul kind of flushes this out a little more personally. And there he, in the middle of kind of talking about how important uh, the rapture is for believers, he says if, um, let's see, in verse 33 of 1 Corinthians 15, don't be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. And what he's talking about there is in the midst of this church, there were some that were really confused about whether or not believers would be raptured, which is a huge a hope that believers have. And to be confused on that is a bad thing. And so some of these Christians were hanging out with people who were like, nah, don't believe it. It's true. If you, once you die, that's it. It's over and there's nothing else. There's nothing. And Paul's saying, if you run with these kind of people, if you're going to hang with these kind of people, they're bad company and they're going to corrupt you and they're going to start to change the way that you think. They're going to corrupt your good morals or your righteousness would maybe be another way to think about that. So the way that you're living for Christ is not going to be quickly changed, but it's going to slowly just be changed a little bit every week, every month. You just kind of, uh, maybe maybe it's not that big a deal. Maybe, you know, something that I would never do now, like if I'm hanging with this group, this crowd, a year from now, I might be totally fine with, like, like Doc's saying. Right now, you're like, oh, I would never break into the school and vandalize, but I'm, I'm, I'm being corrupted by this group of people who are bad company. And, and Miss Cammie's right. There's a ton of verses in Proverbs that talk about 
the, the need to be careful what kind of friends we have. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 24 says, Make no friendship with a man or woman given to anger. Don't be friends with somebody who has a hot temper. Uh, also, don't go with a wrathful person, lest you learn his ways and you entangle yourself in a snare. So it's the same kind of principle. Those people that you're hanging out with, if you're, if you're around them enough, you start to be influenced by them and you start to become who they are. And you start to do the same things they're doing, especially when you're allowing them to influence you. Whether it's anger or wrath or whatever sin, you could pick whatever it is. Maybe they're somebody who lies a lot or whatever it is. Eventually, that's going to rub off on you. And so we have to be so, so careful Proverbs is that book of wisdom for young people and old people alike. But here's a great book that tells us a huge principle for life. Do not let people choose you as friends. You be in control of who you're deciding as your friend and who isn't. And all the more important that we're choosing the right friends. So let me go back to that first question then. What if I'm with a group of friends and I'm starting to realize maybe this isn't the best group of friends. Dr. Scott, you said run for the hills. What does that mean? What does it look like to, to run for the hills? You start moving really fast. You look for hills and you run toward them. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, in, in other words, get away from them. Um, this is not somebody, you're just looking for trouble if you keep hanging around with those people. You know, they will draw you in. You will be associated with them. Uh, if bad things happen, you know, you're going to go down with them, uh, you know, when they get caught or, or whatever happens. So, um, you know, one thing is, if again, if you are wanting to see them come to Christ and you're praying for them and you're um, trying to live a, a godly life in front of them, uh, then, that's, then that's one thing. But if you're thinking what they're doing is cool and fun and you don't care if you're, you know, the consequences of it, you know, and you, you just want to be a part of it, you know, then that's wrong. You know, you, you don't want to be doing that with them. You know, you, uh, and you know, you can live out, uh, and, and have a consistent Christian life in front of them. And you know, that there's a price with that. Sometimes, you know, you might get called names, you might be made fun of, um, even as you get older, um, I remember one time uh, I was in medical school, and there were, there were a group of us. We were actually doing a semester in New York City, and uh, there were about five or six of us that were going to church. So, you know, when you're in New York, you don't have a car, so you get on this thing called the subway. You know, it's like a train. So we were walking toward the subway, and we were walking past some of our classmates playing basketball, and they start, you know, started ridiculing us for going to church and ha-ha and, you know, say a little prayer for me, ha-ha-ha, and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, so it happens to you even when you're older, you know, it can happen too. But, you know, we didn't let that bother us at all. You know, we just said, yeah, yeah, I'd be happy to. And, you know, um, you know and, and, but it, it can happen then too. But, uh, one of the temptations, too, I think, it's, it's in Proverbs um, 18.24, is it's wanting to be popular, right? So 
you don't want to be the kid that doesn't have a lot of friends and, you know, that, you know, doesn't get invited to things or get to do things with other people. In Proverbs 18.24, it says, A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so trying to be friends with as many people as possible, uh, that, that's kind of more like being popular, which can cause you to do things that maybe you know are wrong. Because in order to, to be everything to everybody, you have to make compromises. You, know, you have to do stuff that maybe you don't feel right about, but you do it anyway. So, you know, don't be that person that has too many friends. Um, there are people that encourage you in Christ and who, um, who build you, help build you up in the faith, and those are the ones that you really want to be the closest to and have the closest relationships with. One last thing, because um, he was talking about popularity, but also the also the opposite is your thoughts of, well, what if I'm alone? I don't want to be alone. But here's the truth of the of Scripture is that God is our, like, um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, like knowing who your God is, and he's our sustainer, and he's our hope, and he answers our prayers, and he knows our afflictions. I love my favorite psalm is Psalm 34, and... Even like 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears towards their cry. Like he hears us and knows us so intimately and he knows who we need to be friends with and he knows that we're alone or that we are choosing aloneness rather than this corrupt group of friends or just friends, not even just not even corrupt, but just you know not the best influence on your life. And as much as that question said, like, who do I be friends with? You absolutely know. You guys are, everybody knows. You know what I mean? Like you can tell like, pretty much really straight away if someone is someone that you want to spend time with or that you should spend time with or you shouldn't. So I think the opposite is just the fear of being alone, especially at your age, sitting alone. I know that was probably my biggest fear when I was in junior high is I never wanted to be alone. And it didn't matter, you know, who, I just wanted to sit with somebody. But the, the truth is, is God is our comfort and he knows. And now being older, I can see just because as you age, your friendships change and they're different and they're not always as you expect them to be. And so what you want more than anything is to pursue people who want to be godly and who um, maybe even they're older than you because they have more experience in life or whatever that looks like. But don't be afraid of that um, loneliness because God is our comfort and you would rather have God as your only friend and more than corrupt or just not the best friendships just as a caveat side note. That's great. All right. Who is stronger, Armando or Ryan? Um, you have to come to winter camp. If you come to winter camp, you will, we will get to the bottom of that question. What do you guys think, Ryan or Armando? Ryan? Armando. Oh, wow, Ryan. They immediately went Armando. <laughs> Time to start doing push-ups, Ryan. Okay, next question. Okay, here we go. This one's good. How can I put my attention on God throughout the day? How can I put my attention on God throughout the day? Wise counsel. It starts with filling your mind with God. And that sounds really like, ooh, but it, what I mean by that is being in his word. And um, 
when you spend time in the word and people always say you can do it in the morning, you can do it at night, whatever works best for you. And that is so true. But, um, you'll find that when you do it in the morning, get up those few minutes early, spend time reading a proverb, reading a Psalm, whatever it is you're reading. And you can come to anyone on staff if you want some guidance as to where to start with that and how to do that. That is what's going to be fresh in your mind throughout the day. And then when temptations come, when um, trials, like a friend is doing something that you don't want to be a part of, um, a friend is treating you badly, not letting you come sit with them at lunchtime, or whatever it is, when those real-life things happen, what is going to come to mind? Is it what you spent your time in the morning, what you filled your mind with, God's word? Or is it the bitter thoughts, the angry thoughts, because you haven't been in God's word? And there is no way around that. We can't think about God, have godly thoughts, um, battle those temptations unless we're filled with his word. And he gave us this. This is God. He's telling us who he is, his character, and how we can um, walk in a manner worthy of him and walk in the spirit. How do we do that? How do we do that? It's all right in here. But unless you open the book and get in those pages, there's no other way for that to happen. Yeah. And, um, yeah, um, a psalm that um, actually Jay has been going through with us as a staff at staff meetings recently is Psalm 119. And um, one thing that can really help you throughout the day is to work on memorizing Scripture. Because I know, you know, when you guys... It's really funny. All you have to do is mention like one line of a song, and the ladies in particular from Frozen, and you can break into the entire every every verse, every chorus. You know, you know it all, and so um, it's really important, I think, to nobody say it because it will erupt in here. <laughs> yeah, is it in your mind right now? Um, no, but. Um, one thing that's that's really helpful is to actually memorize scripture. So you can memorize a song easy. I mean, that's that's no problem. But um, it's memorizing God's word, and your your brains have a great capacity to do that. There's a lot of things that you do have to memorize, you know, like history for a test or how to do a math problem, whatever. Well, you can also memorize the Bible. So Psalm 119, uh, verses 9 and 11, it says, How can a young man keep his way pure, or a young person keep his way pure, by keeping it according to your word? In verse 11, it says, um, uh, well, actually, well, let's go verse 10 too. With all my heart, I have sought you, God. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. And that's the idea of storing it, storing the Bible in your mind and in your heart. And even taking a, a little um, scrap of paper or a little... Um, uh, you can make out a three-by-five card. You can break them up into little pieces, and you can write out Scripture and have it with you during the day. So uh, in your pocket or in your notebook at school or whatever, and every once in a while you just can pull it out, look at it, you know, kind of remember it, and that's a way to be reminded regularly. You know, even for the staff, if you have, have one of those Scripture memory cards, you know, you can tape it. Um, you know, on the, you know, the horn button in the middle of your car. And as you're driving, you take a quick, you know, quick peek down. Uh, don't text, but you can do that. And, um, and look at it and be reminded of it, as, even as you're driving or throughout the day. So um, that's a good thing for all of us to do is to memorize scripture and so that it comes up into your mind when you need it. You know, God uses it to, um, 
uh, remind you of him, you know, throughout the day. Yeah, I think it, it's it's a great question, and I don't know what's, you know, maybe what's the source of that question. Maybe it's Colossians, which we just went through. Colossians 3, my favorite chapter of the Bible at the moment. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Um, maybe that's kind of the source of it, like... I guess I just want to tie it all together. You know what's connecting all these comments are action verbs. Like, you have to do something. Um, I think what we want, maybe it's just because of the time we live in or some of the luxuries that we're, I don't know if it's blessed to have, but maybe uh, we're just kind of used to things being easy. And you guys are growing up in a time where that's never been more true, just Things are convenient. Things are easy. We don't have to do as much work as we used to have to do for stuff. And that, I think, ties well into this question. Like, how do I do this? Well, it takes work. You have to seek. You have to meditate. You have to memorize. You have to get up. Like, all the the, the main connector to all of it is you doing something which then just makes me think of Philippians chapter 2 where Paul talks about kind of how we live in the world. And there he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So let me help. There's two really major things right there with this question of how do we sort of live as believers? How do we fix our minds and our thoughts on Christ like we're supposed to? It takes work. Paul says you, you got to work out your, your salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean work for your salvation. That just means work for this sanctification that's happening. And when you hear that, you're like, oh man, this is hard. I don't know if I can do this. And you're right. You can't. You need some serious help, which is why Paul says in that next verse, it's God who works in you. So you're working, and the best news is, is that God's working to help you also. So you're going to have to participate. You can't just sit on the couch and, like, you know, level up in sanctification. It doesn't work that way. You have to do the work. But good news, God is also at work in you. So not only do we go to his word, but we also ask for help. Lord, please help me to understand it. Give me that desire to want your word. Give me that motivation to work. I'm lazy because my heart is just prone to do something different, something else that I'd rather do or want to do or maybe I'm more interested in at the moment. I'd rather check Clash of Clans or whatever you're playing. I'd rather do this. I'd rather do anything than that. Lord, help me have a different desire for you and for what I need to be doing. So, Two parts there that I think are really important, but you'll never, you'll never get around it, you guys. There's never going to be a quick download for sanctification. There's never going to be a quick like fix. Oh, here, this we can fix this like in an hour. That's not what it is. It takes work, okay? But it's work that's worth it, and it's work that we also have some help with the Lord. All right, next question. Can you make a sermon about what's okay to wear? Oh, I think that's just directed at me. Um, yeah, I think I already preached that sermon. I would go back to 
Colossians chapter 3, where we just were in verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, sermon about what to wear is tricky because we're all going to have different preferences and we're going to have different parents who might think differently about what's okay and what's not okay. But here's what's at the heart of all of it. No matter what I'm doing, I need to make sure I'm doing it not for my glory, but for the glory of Christ. That I'm trying to live as a believer in a way that represents who my Savior is. Um, I don't want to do anything, and that's, that includes how you dress. I don't want to do anything that is out of an attitude or a heart that's drawing attention to me, that's trying to build me up, and that's what the sinful heart loves to do, doesn't it? Like, I can't wait to get the compliments. I can't wait to, you know, get the comments from my friends about my new kicks or my new whatever, and I can't wait. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. That's, that's, that's crossing the line until I'm doing this to build me up for my glory. It doesn't mean you can't have fresh kicks. That's fine. But we're just doing it, make sure our attitude's in check, that we're not constantly trying to build ourselves up everywhere we go with everyone that's around us. Um, there would be a lot more to say about that. We want to be sure that we're not causing anybody to sin by the way that we're dressed. We want to be very careful there. We don't want to be, I don't know, discouraging to our to our peers. Um, and junior high, certainly that age starts where now we're dressing in such a way that I'm actually hurting somebody that I care about, you know, a friend of mine and because of just the way that I'm dressed and it's not good. It's not helpful. It's causing them to sin and stumble. So we want to be very careful there, which again goes right back to Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do, are you doing it in the name of, of Christ? Are you doing it in a way that you're saying, I'm trying hard to, to represent him even as I go to school or as I go to church or as I go to this thing? Like, I just want to be so careful that I'm representing him if, you know, if indeed he is our savior. So I'm sure we could go off that some more, but I want to get to this next question, which is what is the point of life? Whew. Yikes. Cammie left. She was just like, I'm not answering that question. What's the point of life? She had to do a greeting thing. She's, she's not mad. She's, she's great. Um, Doc, you got any thoughts about what's the point of life? Yeah, it's to, um, to glorify God and to worship him and then ultimately in heaven to enjoy him forever. Hmm. You know, that's the, the chief end of man. You know, that's what's from um, a document that was written many, uh, many um, uh, decades ago, um, actually thousands of years ago, called the Westminster Confession. And these were some Christians at the time that got together and, and uh, came out with things that were essential for the Christian faith from the, from the Bible. And that's their number, that's number one on their list of what they thought was important is answering that question. You know, so it's, um, it's glorifying God and enjoying him forever. That's the chief end of man. And how do we glorify God? Um, by believing in Christ, um, his, his, um, everlasting son who came, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross for us, who was raised on the third day in power and who lives um, forever in heaven. Uh, he loves us. He um, uh, is pleading our case 
um, before God, you know, because of our sin. He is, he is our advocate in heaven, and he's returning in judgment someday uh, to judge those who, who don't believe. So, mm. you know, that's the chief end of man is, is to, and the whole point, you know, is why God created us is to have a relationship with him, love him, and um, be with him forever. Tap out. <laughs> Same. You know, that's really hard to hear. It, what Doc said is true, but it's hard to hear that life isn't about you, isn't it? Um, and if if it's not, just keep thinking about it. <laughs> Eventually you'll get there. It's really hard to hear that. Like so much of life, especially as a young person, kind of seems like everything is about you. Everything kind of revolves around you and your stuff and your your things and your sports or your music or whatever it is, right? Like, so when you hear that, like, man, life isn't about you, that can kind of feel like running into a screen door or a brick wall or something. You just don't really expect it. Um, anybody ever walk through the screen door? It happens. You can admit it. Everybody does it. Everybody's done it once. Sliding glass door for me. <laughs> it was just really clean. I mean, I didn't see it. Yeah. Uh, so I think, that's, I think that's helpful to add that when you hear that the chief end of man is to glorify God. The main thing that we're created for is to glorify God. Colossians, just a helpful book. That's why we preach through it. Chapter 1, verse 16 talks about creation, talks about Christ, our creator. By him, all things, chapter 1, verse 16. By him, all things were created, which includes you, right? You're included in all things. Um, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and, important word, for him. So I think that is a, a helpful way to start thinking about your purpose in life, and it's good for you to, to realize that early. Isaiah 44 or um, 43, sorry, is another really helpful spot where Isaiah just kind of puts it in a way that I like. He talks about what God's saying here, everyone who's called by my name, whom I created for my glory. So there we kind of have this these two thoughts rounded out, whom I formed and made, Isaiah writes in chapter 43, verse 7. So you're created, you're formed, you're made. What's the whole point? Well, ultimately, Sorry to tell you this, it's not for you, but it's for God's glory. It's for your creator's glory, which we learn in Colossians 1 is Christ. He's the one that made you. He's the one that's holding it all together. He's the one that even gifts you, the church, to put you here. That's why Paul makes that transition there in chapter 1. He's not only the head of all things, but he's also the head of the church. So he puts you in this body to help you grow because he loves you and cares about you. But he made you for him. He made you to glorify him. And your life, one way or another, will glorify him. Um, that can be a hard thing to hear too. How does that work? Uh, your life, even if you choose to reject him, will glorify him because it'll prove him a righteous judge. It'll prove him a holy God. And when he judges your life as one who rejects him, which we're getting a little dark for the Q&A, but it's true. You will. You were created for his glory, and you will glorify him one way or another. All right, helpful. Good job, you yeah, guys. Yeah, one other thing real yeah. quick, a couple things. Um, so in John 10.10, 10, um, the other side of the coin is, as Jay was saying, well, you know, I don't get to live for me. 
But Jesus said that I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, that it would be full, meaningful, and good. And then in Romans 8, um, he also says that who will separate us from the love of Christ? You know, that if you're in him, he's always there loving you, um, caring for you. Because so many people are lonely and they're looking for love and um, missing out on the fact that Christ loves you. That'll never change if you belong to him um, is a great um, uh, comfort and encouragement, you know, to know that he's always there. He's your best friend. It's hmm. really good. Um, do you go to the gym? If so, I think that says how much do you bench? Uh, I don't go to the gym. How many prophecies are fulfilled and will be fulfilled? Yikes. That's a Bible question. Uh, All of the prophecies in the Bible will be fulfilled. I know that answer. Uh, Okay, how about this one? How do we know that God is real? What time is it? Oh, we got two minutes. We can answer that. How do we know that God is real? What do you think? Leah, going to the mic. Because the Bible says it's true. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, and and two, um, you know, God has sent His Holy Spirit um, to teach us the truth. And if if you're truly truly a Christian, you know, your heart um, uh, affirms. I can uh, when you read the scripture, when you hear God's word preached, uh, that it's that it's true and that He's real and He's He's there for you. And um, if, if you're a Christian and you pray and you see God answers your answer your prayers in a miraculous way, um, I just don't want really totally don't want to call them out, but I'm going to. Um, we have some friends here um, visiting from Nebraska um, who have a little boy hmm. who's a miracle. You know, there's no other way to. Uh, to explain it. Uh, He was born really early. Uh, He was in a neonatal ICU for months and months, and um, he's with us today. And and because of the, undoubtedly the skill of the medical team, but also for the prayers of the saints, because so many people have been praying for for them and for him. And, you know, that's, you know, there's a lot of reasons why you can tell that God is real, but, you know, things like that definitely convince you that, God totally. is real. You can talk about it. You thought of it. Huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> you're crying now. Thanks, Doc. So I, I, would, I would just go to Romans. I think there are two things in Romans chapter 1 and 2 that are so helpful. Uh, Romans chapter 1 talks about... Um, our reason maybe would be the best word to use there that we have something in us that can reason and can know the truth about God, that he's real in chapter one, verse 18, even talks about the wrath of God being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Uh, Paul writes for what can be known about God is plain to them. We can reason. It's clear. We understand that there's a God. He exists. And he's shown it to them. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. What does Paul say? Ever since the creation of the world, 
in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So kind of mixing in with the question we just answered about, you know, what's our purpose? It's hard for us to think about there being a God. It's hard for us to think about our purpose not being about us, because once we start to admit and, and recognize and reason that even just looking around, there must be a creator, now immediately there's someone I'm accountable to. Now there's immediately someone more powerful than me. There's immediately somebody who's a judge over my life, and which is why people want to try to push down that reason, that ability to go, oh, look, certainly somebody had to make all this. I don't know about you guys. I've been alive for 41 years. I've never seen anything go from chaos to order. Like my room has been messy for 41 years and I've never seen it like become clean on its own. The laundry doesn't put itself away. The the floor doesn't get vacuumed by itself. I've also never seen like anything like be created out of nothing. So the fact of just like trying to prove our existence without God is bonkers. Like, how does something come from nothing? It takes enormous faith to believe that there's no God. It takes way more faith to believe that, that evolution could be real, that from nothing came something. Like, you've got to really have some strong faith. It's actually way easier to believe what the Bible tells us, that there's a God and he created it. And oh, by the way, this God is really creative, Look at this room. Look at the different kinds of people. And God's really loving. And he loves beauty. Like he made some incredibly beautiful things for us to enjoy and and look at. But I think that's, that's part of it. Like our reason is there. And the world right now is trying to squash that reason. Like do not believe in it. Let's throw you a bunch of other stuff that maybe you could believe in, that maybe you could look at and go, oh yeah, there's no God. Evolution, big bang, from nothing, bang. There it is. That makes sense. Let's do that. Why? Because then there's no God. Then there's no creator. Then there's no judge. And guess who's back in control? Guess whose life matters most again? Yours. (laughs) The other thing in chapter two, and I I see high school beating down the door. Um, Chapter two, verse 14 says, when Gentiles who do not have the law, but by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. What's Paul saying there? He's talking about conscience. So you have reason and you also have conscience. You have an awareness of what's right and wrong. Paul says, look, there are Gentiles who even, they don't have the law, but they still recognize what's right and wrong. Let me ask you this. You don't have to raise your hand, but the last time you did something wrong, did you feel it? Did something in your brain go, ah, that was wrong. We shouldn't have done that. Ah, why did I do that? Now there's sin and there's broken relationship with my parents and there's all this trouble. That's called a conscience. So God does these two incredible things. He gives you reason. He gives you conscience. And both of those help you to know that he's real, 
There is a law. There is somebody who determined what's good, what's bad. There is somebody who determined what's right and what's wrong. And he put it inside of you. It's written on your heart, even from birth. And and both that conscience and that ability to reason are meant to make you go, clearly there is a God. Clearly there is somebody who's in control. And I think maybe just to tie some of these things together, what we've been talking about is what we love to talk about in junior high, which is the gospel. That reason and that conscience is meant to drive you to the reality that you need a savior because your heart is so sinful and your heart loves to distance itself from God. Your heart loves to be number one and in control and the most important. You want your life to be about your glory, not God's. And here God's word and all his love and kindness helps us to see the truth. You're dead in your sin. Ephesians 2. And you need somebody really powerful and perfect to rescue you, which is what Christmas was all about. Christ came to live this perfect life and to lay down his life for you so that you could be saved, not by anything you do, but by his grace. And it's a gift. And it's awesome that it's right here for us to read about and know about. And just like every Sunday and Wednesday, I want to encourage you, if you have questions about the gospel, about your salvation, about your relationship with Christ, your leaders would love to talk to you. I would love to talk to you, even right after this service. Even though high school is going to come in here like, a, like the flood, uh, just still, we'd love to talk to you about that. We want to make sure that you know the truth about where you are with Christ. That matters most. There's still a lot of great questions in this box. Uh, we'll, we'll get to it uh, soon. But let me, let me ask uh, Doc to close us in prayer, if you would. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to um, discuss these matters. Um, your word has the answers to all the questions that we would ever have. Lord, we thank you so much that we can look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who um, did miracles, who proved without a shadow of a doubt who he is by being raised from the dead. And as we look to him, um, we can know the truth, and the truth will set us free. So thank you, Lord, for each and every one of the, um, the students here today. We pray that you would bless them. Give them a great rest of their day as they continue to think upon these things um, that they've learned this morning. In your name we pray. Amen.